Good morning. Uh, my name's Suzanne Hume, and I'll be reading the Bible for us today. So today we're reading from Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 24, through to Genesis 2, verse 7. So Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 24. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. From all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the, the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Well, good morning, friends, and it is great to be with you as we begin our new series, Being Human. Uh, the opening question of the 1563 Heidelberg Catechism, now you may not know what a catechism is, but it's a way that churches used to teach true and good doctrine. And so the opening question of the 1563 Heidelberg Catechism asks this question, what is your only comfort in death and in life? 
And the answer was that I am not my own. Now, that couldn't be further from the prevailing mindset of today, could it? Uh, We live in the age of selfies, in the you-do-you mentality. Indeed, in 2015, the word identity was voted word of the year. And a person's particular mode of self-expression now is sacred in our current context. There's nothing more important today than allowing people to identify themselves and be themselves in whatever way they see fit. And so if the catechism was rewritten now, it might go something like this. Uh, What is your only comfort in life and in death? That is what keeps you motivated, what keeps you inspired, what keeps you going? That I am my own, it might read. And I can be whatever I want. I can be whoever I want. And no one can stop me. In recent years, societies around the globe have become increasingly individualistic. But don't even imagine that you, as a Christian, or the church as a whole, is immune. There has been an identifiable, gradual creeping in of an ideology that God will accept you as you are. And that God wants you to live and define for yourself your best life now. That God wants you simply to be content with who you are now. As long as you're being true to yourself, then you're being true to God. As long as you're following your heart, then you're following God. But friends, when a church or a believer proclaims that, they find themselves lost in the wilderness, without hope, without any grounding or certainty for the future. So friends, in many ways, we are globally at an identity crisis moment. But instead of just throwing our hands in the air and hiding under the covers, as perhaps many of you are already doing this morning, let us recognise that in fact, we have the answer to the identity problem the world is grappling with. We actually have the answer to what it is to be human. And my prayer through this series is that you will work yourself out and you'll finish after these three Sundays with a robust understanding of yourself so that you can live right because your anthropology shapes everything. Uh, And I suspect many Christian people have not actually stopped and thought through their anthropology from a Christian or biblical perspective. Rather, we we go with the vibe. Well, instead, let's go with the word. And you may be living quite successfully and enjoyably in the eyes of the world. But is that really what matters? Well, the word of God gives answers, and God has spoken. So let's listen, beginning right at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And God writes, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it's actually critical for us to start right at the start because this is the foundational building block for understanding what it is to be human. And it's this. You didn't come first. You aren't the pinnacle of all things. You weren't there in the beginning. 
Uh, the Bible begins with an alternate declaration to the sort of declaration of the world. and It is that God alone is eternal. That God alone is forever. And that there has never been a time when God was not. He existed before anything else came into being. And then with a word, the universe came out of nothing, ex nihilo. There was nothing. God spoke and then there was something, and you are part of that something. Now, we'll see more of the deliberateness of God's creative work in just a moment. But for now, amidst all the questions that can be asked of Genesis chapter 1, I just want you to note the way that God has three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, are engaged deliberately and relationally in the creative work. God the Father takes the initiative God, the Spirit, is involved. In verse 2, he is there hovering over the waters. And then we're told in John chapter 1, verse 3, that indeed uh, Jesus was the one through, him, or through whom all things were made. He is God's agent in creation. So it is the work of our relational Trinitarian God that brings that founding moment for the universe. He is the personal force behind all of creation, behind everything, and therefore he is worthy of praise. Indeed, John says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Now with that in mind, let's come to the creation of humankind which takes place on the sixth day of creation. I'm going to read again from verse 24, so we set the scene for where we fit in to God's creative work. Verse 24, God said, let, there, let the land produce the living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. There was evening. And there was morning. The sixth day. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that absolutely entrancing and fascinating. And there's three things specifically I'd like for us to see that emanate out from there this morning. And the first one is this, is that we are created beings, deliberately, lovingly created. 
Uh, have a look with me again at verse 26 and verse 27. You can see there on four occasions our createdness is emphasised and noted. At the start of verse 26, we read uh, that God makes mankind in his image. And then in verse 27, three times, God created, he created, he created them. There is a deliberateness in the use of the language here that's underlining the deliberateness of the intentionality on behalf of God. The creation of humans was not done on a whim. Uh, the emergence of humanity onto the planet it is not some random event. But God brought you and me to be something deliberately by his loving, relational, initiated choice. And this reality is well expressed in Psalm 139. Uh, Psalm 139 from verse, six, th verse 13, rather, we read, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, be certain that the psalmist is very aware of the process of procreation and the process of what happens inside a woman's womb. But he's also aware of the deeper reality. Uh, they're aware of his origin, that humanity came into existence through the thought, through the will, through the deliberate personal initiation and creation of God. And to the psalmist, this origin is a cause for praise and adoring and thanksgiving. God saw him in the womb, but more than that, God saw him and us and knew me and you before we were even thought of by our parents. So our point here is this. The origin of humankind is a deliberate and invisible work of God. And far from the Bible competing with science about the origin of man, this reality provides science with a starting point. It may even explain scientific discovery. So we are part of the creation brought into being by God, but our understanding must not stop here as the understanding of some does. Uh, behind the ethics of people like Peter Singer, who see no distinction or in importance or dignity or authority between humans and animals, or, or behind the ethics of the radical green movement we've seen little hints of in our country and in other places around the world, who say there's no distinction in importance or dignity or authority between trees and animals. Behind all of these ideas is the very idea that trees and animals are created equally in creation with us. But it's not true. Everything has been created distinctly. We note the use of kind and kinds over and over again. Everything is distinct, but humans are even more deliberately distinct. And here's the second thing I want you to grasp hold of this morning. It's that humans are not just created, but we're created in the image of God. Deliberately with dignity and distinction. 
Uh, have a look again from verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. See, although humanity is created on the same day as other creatures and by the same God as other creatures, we've been created in a different manner. And we are creatures in a distinct way. Something new begins with the creation of humanity. Everything else was created under the divine imperative, let there be and there was. You can see it all the way from verse 1 down to verse 25. Let there be and there was. Let there be and there was. But when it comes to humanity, it's as though the creator presses pause just for a moment. And then begins a new act of creation where he says, let us. The command is not to the created, but to God himself. Rather than let there be light or let there be human, God says, let us make. Let us in our deliberate relationship together make man in our image. And so in this new creative act, a wholly new and different relationship between God and this creature, between God and us, between God and you, is established. Humans, in contrast to the rest of creation, have not merely been created by God and through God, but have a look again at verse 26. We've been created like God, in God, for God, in the image of God. Now, now what does that actually mean? Well, I think it means at least two things. And the first one is that we have a relational capability with God and with each other. The man and woman relate to God and to one another. God addresses them in speech. He gives them commands. Humans speak and reason and relate and are morally responsible before God in a way that other creatures are not. But secondly, we bear something of God's rule and authority over the rest of creation in a way that nothing else in creation does. And the text itself gives us a hint as to what this might be in verse 26 and verse 28. I'm just going to read verse 28 for us again. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, in essence, humankind are to exercise rule over, control over, maintenance over the world under the authority of God and on behalf of himself. We're not in the world to to just react to the world or survive in the world. We're in the world to be God's righteous rulers over the world. Not to abuse it, but to subdue it. To bring it to order, that means. And to receive blessings from it. Uh, So verse 29, we have from the earth that we subdue all that is needed for survival and life. And this too is God's creative provision for you and me. The psalmist sees all this. He sees humans as the most important created thing. And in Psalm 8, 
uh, as we read before. We read from verse 6, You made humans rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. See, the rule that comes from God must draw its shape from God. God's rule is always in the best interests of everything that he has created. So humans, as we rule and subdue this world, do so like God, responsibly, loving ruling righteously, not uh, abusing as arbitrary despots in some way, shape or form. Uh, The sort of loving care God shows us is the sort of loving care we ought to show the world. Now you can see there's a whole other sermon that we could sort of start working on over here right now uh, to speak of a Christian understanding of the environment Uh, and helpfully Uh, to posture ourselves when it comes to environmentalism. And we could explore that. Uh, But I think it's just helpful for now to note that because of the way we see ourselves, we neither exalt the environment to idle status, nor dismiss it as unimportant and therefore trash the world, but rather we posture ourselves as those who are here to utilise the gift that God's given us in a humane and sustainable way. For God's given it to sustain life. And he does not mandate radical positions on the environment, nor sort of idolatry of the world, but that we might under him love, subdue, rule and benefit from the world. So where have we got to? Point one, we are created. Point two, we're created in the image of God to be God's loving rulers in the world, that all humanity should operate like that. So then, point three, which is really naturally the conclusion and outworking of the first two, and it is this. It is that you cannot live humanly without listening to God. Humans are dependent on God for life. Uh, If we are created by God to be in relationship with God as his image on earth, then human life can only ever be lived in response to the word and will of God. And so immediately this banishes the sort of arrogance that says, I know best how to live in the world. The sort of arrogance that says, I can do me in whatever way I want. And it establishes complete dependence on God. We might be the pinnacle of the created things at the very top of the tree with the responsibility to rule, created last and over all things. But we're not the pinnacle of creation. That's God who on the next day finds himself at rest. And indeed, if we go back to Psalm 8, we see that the psalmist captures this mindset, this posture towards God and dependence on God with great questions and and picks up the mystery from verse 3. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you've set in place, when I look at all the creation, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings, that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. At the end, he says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, the Lord's name in all the earth. Not how majestic are we in the earth, 
but he positions himself in great dependence upon God. How majestic is your name in all the earth? You see, friends, we cannot fully understand ourselves by looking inside philosophically. We cannot fully understand ourselves and how to live by looking inside scientifically at atoms and cells. We cannot fully understand ourselves and how to live in this world from the creation up. We can find out lots of things by doing that. But we can only understand what it is to be human when we look to God who created us. And that reality must banish from our minds the arrogance that says... I can work out how to live life properly in this world. Friends, that's what the atheists say. It's what the Buddhists say. It's what the garden variety Aussie says. I'll work it out. But you cannot work out how to live properly in the world without God. Because you were created to operate in the image and likeness of God under God, depending on God. That something created works properly and at its best when it's used in the way it was created. Uh, Take, for example, I've got something here in my pocket. Ah, look, this is one of my mother-in-law's silver teaspoons that uh, we have at our house. Now, a silver teaspoon is used, not surprisingly, for scooping sugar into your tea that you will have in your beautiful, nice teacup. And I tell you that these silver teaspoons do that perfectly well. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that I take this silver teaspoon outside and I use it to start chopping wood. And I'm bashing it against the wood as hard as I can to try and... What's going to happen to the spoon? Well, it'll start to get some dints and I'm not sure it'll work. But then I think to myself, I know... My ISO project is to repaint the shed in the backyard. So I go into the garage and I start levering open the paint tin with my silver spoon. What's going to happen to the silver spoon? It's going to be damaged. That's not the way it was intended to be used. It's not what it was purposed for. It's not what it was created for. The silver spoon has a purpose. And friends, it's the same with you. You've been made for a purpose. There's a right way to be human. There's a right way to be determined that has been determined by God. You can be human in any number of different ways, but when you do that, when you don't choose to be dependent upon God, to listen to God, to sit under the will of God, in the end, you do yourself damage. And you'll do damage to others as well. Not living as you were intended to live, is dangerous for you're not giving praise to the one who's made you, who loves you, who has placed within you his image and called you to be dependent upon him. And friends, the reality is that we don't know what is best for ourselves, but we do know what is best when we look to God, when we listen to God, when we hear what he has to say, We were created by his word and need to be ongoingly dependent on his word that it may instruct us and guide us and lead us in the way we should go and to choose any other path 
is to choose a subhuman pathway, a suboptimal pathway for life. And so therefore, we land here today. We land in this moment where we place ourselves under God and this moment calls for great humility. And this is where this teaching from the scriptures about who we are as humans hits home for us in this culture. For we are all brought up in this culture here on North Shore St. Ives and and perhaps in whatever culture you're in around the world, you can see this as well. But for those of us here in St. Ives, we're brought up in this culture to be highly competent, highly capable, well-trained individuals who can solve any and every problem ourselves and we don't need help. In fact, you have been called to solve your own problems and only call for help when you really need it. We train our young people at all the local private schools to be independent, powerful individuals who can do it themselves. We strive in our work to be independent, powerful individuals who can do it ourselves. Our culture screams at us every day. Be that independent, powerful individual who can do it themselves. You can do life to the full for you. The Bible says you'll never do life properly until you start listening to God. Creation by the word was a demonstration of God's heart. Creation by God's word was a demonstration of his intelligence and wisdom. It was the beginning of his communication of himself, by himself, to us. Creation by the word testifies to his lordship and majesty and power. For God did not just create us, but he loves you. And we know that not just from Genesis 1, but from the arrival of the one who came bearing flesh perfectly. Bearing God's image perfectly from God the Son, the Word of God, who became flesh. We know God loves us from Jesus. God is not hidden and inaccessible, but he is knowable and accessible through his Word. He is the speaking, communicating, relating, loving God, and he has spoken most clearly to you in his Son, where through whom he appeared in human likeness and through his death, We see him destroy all evil and all that destroys humanity and that we might live perfectly in obedience to him. So God's word in Genesis 1 says to us how we are to live. And in his word, Jesus Christ, we are shown how life is to be lived. We're shown the picture of life at its best in Jesus. We're shown that it involves recognising our creatureliness and and dependence, that we're created in his image to be his rulers and his loving carers in the world under him. So I hope you can see being human isn't just a hit and miss affair. You're not called and born into the world to just try stuff till it works. We don't live on the vibe. We don't live on what we feel like is right. Life is given and shaped by the one who speaks, who has spoken in his son and who's still speaking by Jesus, his example and word. Friends, the message is clear. 
If we want to know what we are in this world, then we need to be first listeners to the word of God. We've been created and formed and shaped and guided by the word, the word of the living and true God that is core to life in this world. Now, of course, we don't always live like that and no one's ever done that perfectly, but we'll think more about that next week. But for now, let us finish again with this call to humble dependence upon our creator. For we humans spend too much time trusting ourselves and ignoring the word. So here's a better option. Let's spend more time ignoring ourselves and trusting the word. How about we pray? Our great God and heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for your love for us, your abundant mercy in creating us and placing us as your children, your people, your image in this world. Help us to live dependent upon you as we have been made, not listening to ourselves, but listening to you in your word. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.